It's 11 a.m. in a garage somewhere in Los Angeles, where Jimmy is waxing poetic while mudding his balls for his son's Little League team. I think that I shall never see a baseball as beautiful as thee. With cowhide wrapping and thin red threads, I'll try not to throw you at someone's head. And so I adorn thee with a layer of mud, and on top of that, some turpentine crud. I bestow upon thee substances, both foreign and domestic, to make your flight much less hectic. You know, and while some may question my methods of late, there's no denying it increases your spin rate. And so I leave you with this thought. How many strikes have you bought? Uh-oh. And I hope I then never get caught. Alas, poor Jimmy, I knew thee well. But now, you're in baseball jail. Welcome to Baseball Biz. I'm Mark Corbett, your host, and with me is once again none other than Mr. Brandon Noway. How you doing today, Brandon? I'm doing pretty good, Mark. We have playoff football, hockey coming back, and baseball coming back as well, so pretty good. Well, I mean, that's your forte anyway. You're, you're about baseball, but you're much broader. Because where are you? See, on Twitter at uh, Sports Blitz Pod, is that correct? Uh, yes, I'm on Twitter at the Sports Blitz Pod. And I, I try to get out there, watch as much sports as I can. And I want to try to get better, get putting my thoughts out there on Twitter much and engaging with people more. It, it's fun, man. I love bringing that here to the show. All right, man. Well, we're certainly glad you're here today. As always. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about another sport later in the game. And to kind of give everybody kind of heads up what we're looking at for today's show, let's see. Well, you you heard what was going on with, with Jimmy and mudding up his balls. We'll talk about that sort of thing later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about 162-game season. And about the balls, we're going to be talking about the nature of the ball. We're going to be talking about what the expectations a pitcher has of what he can do with that ball. And a bit of a mudding mystery, too. Plus, there's actually a court case going on. Well, all this, and then we're going to go ahead and talk about something you brought up, and that's Nickelodeon and what they've been doing with the NFL and how that could impact the MLB. Hot stove changes. Some really great stuff there. And uh, Liam Hendricks is one of those pieces. I know looking forward to talking to you about that. Then you and I, I think, will have a little discussion about BetMGM and their recent partnership with Major League Baseball, bringing gambling to the Nationals, and hopefully, I guess, planning on rolling that out to all of the teams. We'll see how that rolls. Then the stat wrap. And what are we going to talk about on stat wrap today? Uh, We're going to talk about OPS and what goes into deciding that. Okay, so we'll talk about that. In case you have a thirst for acronyms and statistics, That'll be something we'll see. And and also, so that's kind of what we have planned for you today. We're looking forward to this. So let's get out of the gate. All right, Brandon, 162-game season, buddy. What what are we looking at here? Do you think it will actually materialize this year? I haven't seen anything confirmed yet, but it does sound like both Manfred and the Players Union are gearing up for a full 162-game season. Now, will that come to fruition? I don't know for sure. It hasn't been confirmed either way, but it does sound like it's going to be a full, not normal season, but it's going to look like what baseball normally does. 
normal. You know, that's that's right. I was I was tweeting the other day with some folks uh, at uh, Durham Bulls, and they were saying, "Hey, what do you want to see this season?" I said, "Games and fans in the stands." <laughs> uh, I don't know. So looking at MLB, I, I like the aspirations. I like the positive attitude. As far as what we wind up with, uh, we'll we'll see. And I mean, what was it? June? We we were talking about. Are we going to have a season? We've had two to uh, spring trainings at that point and wondered if we'd see a 2020 season. Yeah, I remember those shows. It was always, are we going to even have a season? And then when we got to the season it, for a while, it was like, are we going to even have a season when we do the next show? Cause all the cases were going crazy. Yeah. I saw a lot going on with Miami and St. Louis, et cetera. But so that's what we're looking for. And I'm real excited about that, but hitting our topic today, the show actually should be titled get a grip. And that's what we want to talk about with baseball, specifically the mud that's put on balls. And you say, what is mud putting on balls? You know, they're actually balls are prepped before each game. And we'll get into how that's done. And there is a traditional and sanctioned way of doing that. And then there is a dirty way of doing that. So we'll get in that. I mean, if you think about baseball, I mean, it's basically... It's wholesome as apple pie, Brandon. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> when you buy a ball, yeah, and you take it out of the box, you know, you see that bright white virgin ball in your hands, just that leather and red string. You know, the, I mean, the ball itself has gone through several modifications over the years, you know, and some were talking about, you know, like, even if you compare like a, a major league ball with one in the minors a couple of years ago at college, the major league balls the threading is not as pronounced. It's not as, I guess, heavy or as thick. It's much tighter, which actually makes for less of a grip for a major league player than, say, a minor league player. You know, so that has a lot to do with, with some of the control. I mean, a pitcher, they, they look at that ball and it's designed and they grip it and they get a feel for it. They, they find the threads. You know, they, they curl their fingers over them, you know. And from that, they, they just feel the leather, the threads, and they they got to teach that ball to fly. I mean, they, they give the ball to flight and direction, and the pitcher, the ball, become one. And in a single swift motion, the ball leaves his hands, seeking purchase in the catcher's leather grasp, and the ball has completed its task when it confounds the batter to swing or not. Basically, it avoids solid connection with the bat. That's its job. It... It all comes down to the pitcher's grip and control, and he imbues that ball with speed and purpose. You know, but while the, the pitcher brand is given the ball direction, the ball must bring its own premium qualities to this event. I mean, it's bright, white, it's slick, it's leather, it's threads. But how well has the ball been prepared before it ever made it to the mound? You know, is it tacky? Is it dry? Is it wet? Is it muddy? The condition of the ball impacts the execution of the pitch you know di different pitchers have different preparations of their own when they take the mound if you think about it brandon you know baseball is a game of magic where the pitcher must make the ball disappear before the batter's eyes so that's that's some of you know what your the the idea of what's going on that relationship between the pitcher and the ball so one of the things they do is all the balls that are in Major League Baseball games are prepared by an attendant in the stadium. 
And they use a very specific type of mud that's universally used across the entire league. Now, in the old days, people would use branding like Vaseline, you know, maybe some pine tar. Pine tar is still out there, I guess. Tobacco juice. <laughs> all, <laughs> all kinds of different methods to, to get a grip on there. There's, there's a lot of things as far as a pitcher trying to get control of that ball. And, you know, when I think about it, I, I think about a Rodis Chapman throwing toward the Rays, uh, Mr. Brossel's head, and saying, oh, I'm sorry, it slipped. But if it's Maybe a little more. Vaseline on the ball. Yeah, I mean, come on, give me some control. It's, it should be something that they a pitcher that's paid that much to be able to control it. But, I mean, today, though, I want to talk about preparing those balls, and we talked about the attendant in the club that does that. And specifically, we're going to be talking about a guy named Bubba. Bubba, <laughs> Bubba, yeah, Bubba got in some trouble. He's with the Los Angeles Angels. And just like Jimmy was trying to, I guess, mimic or imitate – his process. Uh, Bubba Harkins has, I think, been with the Angels for like 30 or 40 years. And his most recent job was uh, being an attendant for the visiting team in the clubhouse. So he prepared the balls before the game for the, for that team. And he had his concoction, his sticky stuff, you know, and put this together. And so while the sanctioned mud that MLB allows you to go ahead and thinly smear over ball was what you normally do. Mr. Bubba Harkins took it another level. Now, the interesting thing is, Brandon, I don't know if you saw it or not, is that uh, he was actually taught this process by a pitcher uh, with the Angels. But as the pitcher was leaving the team, he wanted to go ahead and share that knowledge with Bubba. So he taught him a combination of some pine tire, rosin, and something else above and beyond what is normally considered best practices or meeting the rules of the game. We were all taught as kids to share, and that's what he was doing. He was sharing, and sharing is caring. (laughs) Sharing is caring. I'm sorry, is that the Care Bears team, baseball Care Bears? I don't know, but that could be a theme for the the magic mud or whatever he calls it. Sharing is caring. (laughs) I like it. Oh, gosh. Well, Harkins, anyway, the poor guy, he got fired, you know. And you and I discussed this before. It's not surprising that it's not a player who gets fired. It's usually a manager or an attendant, somebody who doesn't have union representation. But uh, Harkins went out and got himself some representation. He's suing the Angels. I say, been there with them for 40 years, Brandon. He said, you know, he, he gave them evidence that, proved that he, basically he was doing something that had been done all along. But the Angels were saying, well, yeah, but, you know, back in February, we sent out a notice letting you guys know, hey, don't be using any banned illegal substances. Harkin says he didn't get the memo. So whether he did or didn't, uh, that's the that's the whole thing where it's coming up to it. But then, but then Harkin says there were some players that enjoyed his sticky stuff and it gave them some control. And he, he named some folks. He named Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Felix Hernandez, Corey Kluber, Adam Rick Wainwright, and several Angels pitchers. So he wasn't just helping the opposition. He was helping his own as well. He said, I mean, he even provided, I guess, evidence, a text from Garrett Cole. <laughs> it reads, quote, 
Hey, Bubba, it's Garrett Cole. I was wondering if you could help me out with this sticky situation. Winky face emoji. We don't see you until May, but we have some road gains in April that are in cold weather places. The stuff I had last year seizes up when it gets cold. Hey, I, I tell you what, if this, uh, if this happened a few months ago, I think Garrett Cole would be in the running for Turkey of the Year just for putting himself in this situation. <laughs> Not because this is like bad. I talk about this more later, but you're involved in something that could technically be considered cheating by the rule book. But he's texting a guy, hey, it's it's me. I'm going to put my full name out here. And <laughs> it, it's like it's from a bad comedy movie. He could win. He could be nominated for Turkey of the Year. Maybe this year's edition. I, I, I'd have to agree with you, man. It's That's some scary stuff. But, uh, you know, you consider where he came from, the Astros originally. I'm not completely surprised. Same with Verlander. Too true. So anyway, I don't know what's going to happen with Bubba and the Angels in court, but uh, I think that I haven't seen this really rise to the top of MLB news, and maybe it doesn't need to. But it, it is interesting when you think of the control that these pitchers need to have. You know, I mean, that's that's going to also increase their value, what they're able to do, and what they're able to deliver to the batter. You know, one of the things you and I were talking about before the show, too, is that Applying the sanctioned mud to the ball also makes it a little darker. Did you know that MLB actually has a chart for for each team to look at and, and decide how much mud to apply? Wow, that's that's really scientific, it seems like. I thought they would just like take the mud and slop <laughs> it on there, try to make it look like it's somewhat the same color, but I didn't know they had a chart where like they'd hold up a ball to it and say, Oh, this is good. Yeah, hmm, hmm, this this seems to be just right. So they got a chart that basically has three balls on it. You know, one that's basically white, white, one that's acceptable, one that has too much on it. But the mud is kind of interesting in of itself because the mud is actually applied, or they have they come in like little cold cream type jars, and the the attendant at the stadium will take some from that and maybe mix it with a little water and then smear it over the ball, you know, very gently. It's not supposed to be something that's real obvious and overwhelming. But the business of the mud is interesting because it's it's actually across all the teams, there's one vendor, one vendor, and it's a little family in New Jersey of all places. Do you remember where he gets his mud? Does he get it from a riverbed out in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, well, they, they have a very special secret spot, and it's down by the Delaware River. They go down there with, like, you know, a couple of those big old pickle jars, and they, they go to their secret spot, and they uh, dig up the mud, and then they take it home. And they they got to remember, they, they got to get enough for 30 teams. And by the way, what's that number? I'll come back to it in a minute. How many balls there are. I think it's like over – It's right now in, in 2019 article I was reading – they were projecting about 1.1 million balls were going to be used <laughs> for in this season. So um, anyway, they go ahead and they gather this mud, and it has a very specific process the way this family does it. They a filter is probably the wrong word. They strain it. So I guess any kind of debris, any sticks, any leaves or anything like that is removed. They, quote, clean, unquote, the mud. Uh, <laughs> 
But from that, then it, this is a process, man. They, they clean it. They, they drain it of the excess water. And, and this goes on through, through several different iterations of, of draining and pressing and straining. And once they get it just right, then they put it all into like little cold cream jars and send it off to the, uh, to the teams. The kind of idea of it is the initial mud is kind of gloppy, kind of jelloish, I think, like a pudding. But by the time it's gone through that whole process, it's defined or described as being more like a cold cream. And they provide that for all of MLB. And I hear now also they're doing it somewhat with the NFL. Yeah, they use it for NFL footballs because like baseballs, those are like when you take it right out of the box, it is, it's not slippery like butter, but it's enough to where, you know, throwing the ball, it is enough so you don't have a good grip on it. It used to be just for baseball and MLB, but now apparently he's doing it for softball, Little League, and even the NFL. Yeah, you know, avoid that deflate gate thing. You get enough mud on there. And this guy, honestly, he seems like a cool guy to hang out with. His name is Jim Bentliff. I believe that's how, I, how you pronounce it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Yes. I love his excuse for when, you know, like nosy people go by and they ask him what he's doing. And he's like, um, I'm here doing a survey on pollution or something like that. Or if they're <laughs> a bunch of kids like having a good time on the boat, he's like, I'm, I'm getting mud for my pot plants. So he seems like a cool guy. He basically plays in mud for a living now. <laughs> I, I hear it's not much of a living, though. I mean, <laughs> I think he does this because he loves it. Uh, some people projecting that Mr. Bentliff is maybe making around 12000 a year with this gig. That, that's pretty decent money for something that honestly, you know, is pretty dirty and you don't think you would really make anything from, but making <laughs> making over $10,000 from mud, that's that's pretty good. Not bad. I'd say so. Uh, you know, we, we, we we're talking about this. Mr. Bentliff, Rawlings is trying to put him out of business. <laughs> I uh. mean, yeah, I know. The... Actually, MLB approached them and said, hey, we're looking for something to make the ball I don't know, say easier or more manageable for a pitcher to control. So Rawlings did some you know, different tests and all, and their response to when they were talking about mud, they said, well, you know, mud is mud. Uh, that's, this is from an article <laughs> quoting Rawlings Chi outright. Mud is mud. What does that mean? <laughs> but, oh, no. This is like from the – go ahead. I don't get how – Mud is mud. That's kind of like saying how dirt is dirt. But everywhere you go, it's different. Like, if we were to go outside right now and go play in the dirt, like little kids, our dirt here is more sandy. But if we were to go somewhere up north of here, like, say, Georgia, Carolina, it's a little bit more clay-like. So I don't necessarily understand if mud is mud. Well, I, I think he was being – this gentleman was – just kind of introducing the idea. Uh, but he, he goes on to say, it clarifies, it kind of follows what you're saying. It's Mike Thompson from Rawlings. He's our chief marketing officer at the time. He said, you know, but obviously mud isn't mud like you. Uh, we've had chemists look at it. We've had engineers look at it. We've had scientists study it. And so I guess they're looking at that and trying to find a way to put that particular property onto the ball itself without actually not putting mud on it. You know, is it, to make sure, this, is it not too tacky? Is it too tacky? 
for, for a grip. I mean, there's a lot of players that have their own, uh, I want to say method and desire what that ball should be like. So if you try to eliminate the mud completely, I think then, I think just one unified style ball may not really work for all MLB pitchers. That's one of those things where it's kind of like, is that really necessary? Is it really that much of a problem putting mud on a ball to where you have to go through all this trouble? I mean, it seems like it'd be more expensive to try a research to make a new ball that is just paying the $10,000 or $10,000, $15,000 for mud from a guy's garage. <laughs> yeah. And, and poor Mr. Bentliff, he probably took it on the chin last year anyway when you talking about 2019 there were 1.1 million balls that were used so there was quite a bit of mud that he had to provide i'm sure that last year certainly cut down in the need for the mud simply because there weren't enough games what's interesting too brandon is you know how did all this evolve who who came up with this and the whole idea of putting mud on a ball who, who said uh, this is what we need to do. You know, like I said earlier, it's, it's not the first time people have done this. I, there have been pitchers in the past who had like a little pine tar on their arm and they touch it, you know, and then they take from there and they, they go ahead and apply it to the ball. You know, that's one way that some are doing it. It wasn't always questioned. But the necessity for control became apparent with one person, this was uh, athletics coach Lena Blackburn back in the 1930s. She saw was in 1920, a shortstop for the Cleveland Indians, Ray Chapman died from a ball right to the head. Bam. No helmets, but I don't know if helmet would help some people in these cases or not. But I guess there was enough of a problem going on that motivated Lena Blackburn. And so he... He rubbed a ball with mud that he found down near his own home in Palmyra, New Jersey. Now, he, he wound up with the Bentliff family, you know, I guess going together after a while, and they built this business. This business of mud was created out of necessity. I mean, that's certainly the way Lena Blackburn you know, said it, saw it, and her name still adorns every cold cream jar of mud that goes out to all the teams. And this is kind of going back to the the sticky stuff situation with Bubba, I've seen hitters say, you know, they don't really care what the pitchers put on the ball because they want them to have as much grip as possible because when they're standing there in the box, they don't, they want the lowest chances possible of being hit by a hundred mile an hour fastball. And, you know, it'll happen sometimes still, but they want to try to minimize the chances of that happening as much as they can. So, that might be why you don't hear as much outrage around the situations because both sides don't really care. I don't know if this is one of these things that we overweigh or not, but I, I certainly am for the whole idea of a pitcher being able to control the ball better, whatever that method may be. But it does need to be standardized so one pitcher doesn't have an advantage over another one. One team doesn't have an advantage over the other one. But as long yeah. as we're, we're talking about, you know, like mud and dripping slime and that sort of thing, what else – You've actually got a little bit of a story that follows through with that, don't you? Yeah, so I opened the show and said it earlier, you know, I was happy that the football playoffs was here. It was announced a few months ago that they were going to broadcast one of the wildcard games on Nickelodeon. And 
a lot of people didn't think much of it and they kind of forgot about it, as did I. And they aired it this week. It was between the Bears and the Saints, and the game was god awful, to be honest. But the broadcast was awesome. This is a quote from Jimmy Trano of SI.com. He said, It wasn't a hit because it appealed to young kids, rather. It appeared, or it appealed to older people as well, who enjoyed taking a trip down memory lane, and people who want more lightheartedness in their football broadcast. And the broadcast booth, it, it featured, you know, kids from Nickelodeon as well as the commentating duo of Noah Eagle, who is Iron Eagle's son, and Nate Burlinson, who he's known around the NFL circles. He played for the Lions for a few years as a receiver, and he's a co-host of the show Good Morning Football. And I thought they really did a good job, especially Burleson, of keeping it fun and lighthearted for the kids but also explaining game situations and relating it to what kids do in their life, such as Mitch Trubisky, the Bears quarterback, who was benched earlier in the year. He said being benched is basically like being grounded. And also a guy was also thrown out for punching another guy in the face while he was wearing a helmet, not the brightest of ideas. He told the audience that that's when it's best to use your words and not your actions. So they really did a good job of, you know, bringing it, more lighthearted fun towards the kids because they had the slime cannons and also when they kicked field goals they would put spongebob's face between the uprights so it's like they were kicking in between spongebob <laughs> and they also threw in some nickelodeon jabs in there as well as one of my personal favorites was he's hotter than a peruvian puff pepper which if you've watched drake and josh before it was a pepper that was very hot it was considered illegal in many countries so that was something that I appreciated from my childhood. And Mark, I wanted to get your opinion. Is Should MLB try to do something like this with Nickelodeon to try and capitalize on it? Because we've seen baseball's kind of fallen out of favor with the younger generations. <laughs> I think anything we could do to attract young, uh, young, younger audience, I think is the way to go. I mean, the institutional idea of a baseball fan these days is somebody who is more my age, which is a little older than you <laughs> by a couple of decades than a, a younger person like yourself. And to reach these children at an earlier age, I mean, when they're youngsters and you get them excited about it, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, to me, that why not? I mean, we need to encourage them. If you're going <laughs> to, if you're going to take a child somewhere, so to watch a game that's three and a half to four hours long, you got to be able to catch their attention with something. And uh, now, now tell me this NFL game. I didn't see. It. Did they actually have uh, slime can cannons uh, shooting out into the field? No, they unfortunately they didn't have the real slime cannons, but they just had it where it was like CGI'd in. It would come out like where the pylons are and shoot slime over the end zones. It, it was actually actually really fun. And everybody on Twitter was just like going nuts over it. I think more people enjoyed that over the normal broadcast, which has Jim Nance and Tony Romo. And it's gotten to the point where, because CBS, that same duo, is doing the Super Bowl this year, people want them to bring back the Nickelodeon broadcast for the Super Bowl. They love this so much. I think it's great. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think it's great. I mean, it, it takes the, the game beyond just the game. It, it comes up with like a a young, festive comic, uh, you know, even animation-type atmosphere that will, will grab an, uh, imaginations. 
because let's face it, that's people are looking for more than just whatever the main product is, whether it be NFL, MLB, or whatever. So uh, you go to some of the minor league stadiums, it's not surprising. You know, even at the Trop here in Tampa, you have a, a place, for a wraparound, a walk around, and entertainment centers inside the stadium. So why not do this? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see MLB and Nickelodeon get together with this pro- project. Yeah, and it, to me, I felt like it really brought back the fun part of watching sports. And, you know, it's because it's not as serious and they aren't focused on, you know, whatever, whatever it's called. I think it's broadcast integrity where, you know, you should strive to do the best you can. You know, be serious but not too serious because you don't want to be, you know, Mr. Serious but also be like a clown. You want to find that right balance, which I believe they did. And they also taught the game to a younger generation, you know, like explaining the red zone or what offsides or illegal procedure is, which I didn't even know what that means, what that meant. And I've been watching football for almost 20 years. Well, and, I, th- I think it's a great way yeah, to, I mean, to be able to not just introduce them to it, but to, to give them an understanding, a basic introduction. That's, that's great. Yeah, and it bringing back the fun isn't the point of sports to have fun anyways. I would hope so, my friend. And, oh, gosh. I mean, of course, our fun during this offseason, and moving away, unfortunately, from Nickelodeon for a moment, (laughs) our fun (laughs) in this offseason is taking a look at what the expectations are, what's cooking, what's on the hot stove, what's going on with free agents, who's being traded, what's going on, Brandon? (laughs) What's happening, buddy? Honestly, nothing much. It's still... It's in, the, it's in the slow cooker. We'll just go with that. Not really a stove, more of a crock pot, kind of. We had Kyle Schwarber. He signed a one-year deal with the Nationals. We also had a big trade between the Indians, who sent pitchers Carlos Carrasco and shortstop Francisco Lindor to the Mets for shortstop Andre Jimenez, shortstop Ahmed Rosario, and minor league pitcher Josh Wolf and minor league outfielder Isaiah Green. Staying in the New York area, the Yankees and DJ LeMayhew, who is more DJ Dismayhew, as you came up with the, over the week. I saw a report from <laughs> I saw a report from Sportsnet that LeMayhew has reportedly asked his representatives to re-engage interest with other teams after becoming dismayed by talks with the Yankees. Tim Brown of Yahoo Sports says he's expected to virtually meet with teams this week. Many of them have shown previous interest, and those teams out there are the Blue Jays, Dodgers, Mets, Braves, Cardinals, Red Sox, and others who have not been, who I have not seen reported yet. He'd be a great addition to any of those teams. They'd be lucky to have him. Yeah. And lastly, on the hot stove, we have Liam Hendricks, who signed a contract with the White Sox, a three-year, $54 million deal with a fourth-year option. But either way, he is expected he is going to get $54 million anyways, whether the fourth-year option is picked up or not. And he would be paid $15 million on a payment plan if he does not continue after the third season. <laughs> oh, also, so, so have me or not, you, you, you're still going to pay me uh, if you if you don't like me after three years. You're still going to pay me for a fourth year, but just over a couple of years is that the deal? Yeah, I mean, you want your money; it's guaranteed almost. And not only did he get that contract, but he was also the AL reliever of the year last year, and he's considered one 
he was considered the top reliever on the market this year. Well, that's amazing. I mean, and Hendricks, I mean, I looked at him a little deeper just because we've got this coming up. But as a reliever, he's been <laughs> he was really questionable in his past. Uh, let's see, I was looking at some numbers from 2017. He threw a 422, 2018, 413. And, but I, I saw one where he said, well, you know, I was thinking too much, so I'm going to quit thinking. <laughs> he kind of re-engineered his game. He looked at it, and but at the same time, when he got to the mound, he's, he's not going to be thinking about it as much. And so that 2018 number, of 413, that he, let's see, that dropped down to what? Oh, yeah, 2019. He turned around and he pitched a 180, 1.8 ERA, boys and girls. Rather exceptional. Learning more about him, he's a really interesting guy. I mean, he's kind of been a journeyman, so to speak. He was kind of like a starting pitcher in the beginning, then he became a reliever. And he came up with the Twins, he spent about three years there, and he bounced around with the Blue Jays and the Royals for a couple of years, about 14, 15. And then he spent the last five years with the A's, where he really started to come into one of the top relievers in the game. Well, you know, and he's been appreciated. I mean, in, in 2019, since he was pitching so cr- crazy great, uh, I think he was actually with the All-Star team for the American League, and not surprisingly. So he got to get out there and pitch – I think at least one inning for the game, so that's that's outstanding. I am curious, though, Brandon. I mean, didn't the Chicago White Sox have a pretty good pitcher with Alex Colomay? You and I both have seen him play here in Tampa. It was outstanding. And, it, see, he had a contract, I think it was worth about $10 million last year. Yeah, they did have him for last year. He, he pitched pretty good. And last year he was about 253 and 280 in 2019. Colome, you know, like I said, he's making ten million. But if you're talking about putting, you're hitting two point eight, two point five, and now suddenly Hendricks, who was hitting one point eight, and I think the contract with Colome was actually for one year only, so it wasn't like they were pushing him out the door. He's a free agent, and I don't think he's landed anywhere yet. But it's going to be interesting to see what Chicago looks like. You know, I mean, what they've added Lance Lynn. You know, they've got guys like. It's Monty Grandal in there and a new manager. I'm sure Chicago White Sox fans have pretty good expectations, so we'll see what comes with that. Yeah, and going back to Colomay for a second, last year in 2020, he, he did have a .81 ERA and 21 appearances in 22 innings, so a pretty good ERA over two innings. And the White Sox are one of those teams around baseball people are excited to watch. And last year they didn't really – they fell short of expectations in the playoffs at least. They're one of those teams that a lot of people do have excitement with because uh, they're loaded with talent. Hopefully this year with veteran leadership in Larusa, they can maybe take that next step and become contenders. We'll see what happens. I mean, right now, if you're looking across the well, American League, I don't think necessarily they'll take the whole thing, but I think they will certainly be you know, a contender for it. Yankees, who knows? Red Sox, who knows? <laughs> Tampa, I even say, who knows? Either changes, losses, or not spending money. Anybody like the Yankees who won't spend the money for LeMayhew, I don't get. It just, that that blows my mind. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. 
Yeah, it sounds like the Mets are still interested in LeMahieu, and even guys like George Springer and Michael Brantley Jr. as well. So they're they're not done, even though they're still making all these moves. Steve Cohen is ready, willing, and able to open a pocketbook, and a lot of other teams aren't as aggressive as he is. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with the Mets. Mets are going to be real exciting this year. Yeah, I hope they're on TV more because I want to watch them. <laughs> okay, man. Let's So let's wrap up the hot stove here. We're closing it up till next week. See what else, any other action that comes up. Um, oh, we got a new feature, man. The stat wrap. Oh, yeah, the stat wrap. We'll come back to stat wrap. <laughs> but uh, one thing I wanted to discuss with you is something new came up. And I, I, maybe I hadn't been paying enough attention, but I didn't see it happen coming. And that was when MLB recently partnered with BetMGM. Gambling in baseball, gambling with any sport, I have a problem with. Okay. I have a problem with gambling anyway because I've seen it as addiction. I've seen people who've suffered from it. So I have a personal problem with it there. But just looking at it from the idea of your Major League Baseball and gambling has has been an issue, certainly one that the league has addressed with its players. But now here's what's happening. Well, working with BetMGM, MLB, is going to be able to install a sports book facility around different baseball parks. Now, right now they're going to start off with one at Nationals. And it's not actually going to be inside the stadium, but they're going to be putting it, replacing a place called Centerfield Social. It's just outside the Centerfield gates. They're going to have it there. Uh, I guess you can come in there and do the book, decide what you're going to gamble on, etc. Uh, there are three other they got three other venues in DC planned for sports books as well. So they're looking at like Capital One Arena where the Wizards and Capitals play. They're looking at uh, let's see the Mystics playing Entertainment and Sports Arena, and the Audi Field for DC United. I don't know, Brandon. I mean, I look at this, and it sounds like it'd be fun. Don't get me wrong, uh, but what are you going to do? You are you going to have like a little restaurant in there? You're going to have the Pete Rose Lounge and the the shoeless <laughs> Joe Jackson beverage center. I I don't know. I, I'm looking at this, and like I said, I have a I have a big problem with it because when Major League Baseball comes down so hard against gambling, and then they have this relationship with BetMGM, to me, it's wrong. I I see where you're coming from. Of course, you've had the personal aspect of it, or I don't. I believe that this is something that is in the best interest of baseball to help gauge new interest. Like the reason one of the, one of the reasons NFL is so big is because of gambling and fantasy football, which now there are sites out there that combine the two. And that's one of the reasons NFL has exploded over the last decade or decade or two. And look at sports like horse racing. Do you, do you think that they would have all these people going to, Horse races, no, maybe not the Kentucky Derby because you know that's like the big crown jewel. But do you think oh, how many people go to the horse track and they're like, "Wow, I can't wait to watch those stallions run." They go there because they they want to try and win money, and that's honestly probably the only reason horse racing is still around. And I think this is something that 
you know, it may not be immediate because, you know, people can't go to the games, but we may see over time, it does help bring people back into the stadium and gain more interest into baseball. Do you look at this like the adult Nickelodeon? <laughs> I, I think it could, because there are a ton of like games out there that people play. I believe the one is called like Mound Ball, where you you put money out there. I don't remember the exact rules of it. I know like you put money on, is the ball going to stop on the mound or is it going to roll off when the catcher throws it out there or when they drop it after the end of an inning? I've even heard some people say you could have like an app where you can put money on, you know, is the next pitch going to be a strike or a ball? Is it going to be, uh, is a guy going to get a hit? Is he going to get a double, a single, a strikeout or a homer? You can bet like all sorts of things. And that's something I think could actually really grow the game, even though it does have its its darker side with addiction. Yeah, and that's true. And quite honestly, I've enjoyed going to the horse races and betting. And <laughs> for me growing up in Louisville, it's a, it's a little bit of both. I mean, as far as admiration of the training and the beast and what they're able to do with those magnificent creatures. But there's no doubt the excitement is once that bell rings and those horses are let loose, the excitement of cheering for one horse to get there and taking that two dollar you know ticket in your hand that you and being able to redeem it after the race that's that's exciting and there's there's no doubt about that i'm I'm just not sure that it has a place in a stadium I mean, it's and it's not in the stadium okay it's kind of adjacent or or contained within the general area but I have a trouble with I guess because MLB has has had to come out against gambling for players and not that I expect that that's necessarily going to happen because of this, but I I think it, it comes a little bit too close for it than I like. Yeah. And the other sports like the NFL and NBA, they have rules on gambling. NBA had a big controversy a long time ago with, I can't remember the official's name. I think Tim, Tim Donahue, maybe I apologize if I'm getting the name wrong. If I have the wrong guy, but there was an official that was fixing games in the playoffs. And it was, I believe it was the Western Conference Finals. It was between the Kings and Lakers, I'm pretty sure of that. There was that, and also, I believe a few years ago, Tony Romo got in trouble because he went to like a, a fantasy football convention in Vegas. And that was considered, you know, a, a gambling thing by the NFL. And he got in trouble for that. So other team, other leagues out there that, you know, allow gambling or they're a little bit more like integrated with it. They, they do have rules around, around the situation. And I guess like you were talking about Tony Romo, I think some of that's been out there anyway. When you're looking at fantasy games, I know at one stadium I was at, you know, I saw along the wall, something for DraftKings. And while I'm not really well, have a great understanding of DraftKings, what I do understand is it's a fun place to come up with your fantasy team but i think some money can be involved as well is that is that accurate yeah from my understanding i've never really taken part i've only did fantasy football like one year and that was in high school and i wasn't very good at it even though i love football and it sounds like it like i said earlier it's combining the love of fantasy football and gambling that the nfl has capitalized on and they put the two together and you can do like daily fantasy on it, all sorts of things around all the leagues, really. And you play in leagues or competitions and you win money from it. 
Well, I think it's going to be part of the culture one way or another. I think the whole idea is they're going to have to find a way to make sure that it doesn't touch the team and the players. And as long as it doesn't do that, I can see what you're saying. Uh, again, I'm not comfortable with it, but I can certainly see it's not going to be really anything unique. But it is interesting to see MLB taking different steps to, I, can, I don't know, create an audience or find other ways to monetize especially during some difficult times we had after last year. Yeah. And it's not going to be perfect. It's going to take some time to really find out a way to where they could keep it away from the game a little bit more because this is the first time they're ever going to have a sports book at a sports venue. That's not, you know, a horse racing track, at least to my knowledge. Yeah, so we'll see how it plays, man. I'm I'm excited about it in a strange way, <laughs> but I do I do want to see how it plays out, and you know maybe after uh, after what they do in Washington, they'll say, oh yeah, this is great, let's do it everywhere. And that's the plan anyway, or and eh, maybe we need to reconsider. Hey, you know what? Um, we do need to bring up the stat of the week. So we're talking about acronyms. We're talking about all of these different ways that the game is measured. And when you go out there to the ballpark, you'll see some of these different acronyms on the wall. And some of them you'll see in uh, results of different games. Some of them are real simple. I mean, the average, you know, what a player, how, how they're doing at bat. But then there's others that really aren't explained. And if you see them in a story, you say, well, what does that mean? So, Brandon, what are we looking at today for the stat of the week? Well, this one is OPS, which I've really seen being thrown around a lot more the last few years, of course, with the rise of analytics. And I always thought, what is OPS? How do they get that number? And getting OPS itself is actually very simple. It stands for on-base percentage and slugging percentage. And they, they add your on-base percentage and your slugging percentage, and they just add them together, and that gets your OPS. And it's meant to combine how well a hitter can reach base with how well he can hit for average and for power. And for pitchers, they use OPS against pitch. Getting to OPS is simple, but the details behind it is a little more complicated, such as slugging percentage, which is basically the total number of bases a player records per at bat, is used with the formula, the number of singles plus the number of doubles times two, plus the number of triples times three, plus the number of homers times four, you take all of that and you divide it by the number of at-bats to get your slugging percentage. And on-base percentage is pretty simple. It refers to how frequently a batter reaches base per plate appearance. And that includes hits, walks, and hit by pitches, but does not include errors, times reached on a fielder's choice, or dropped third strike, or sacrifice bunts. And who says baseball isn't interesting? It's pretty complicated. <laughs> it is pretty complicated, but it does. I think that's a great explanation of it. But I'm going to ask you to do something for us, Brandon, at Sports Blitz Pod. And if you would post, you know, what we talked about here about uh, the on-base percentage and the OPS slugging percentage, just put something there, even just a link. So if people want to follow up and learn a little bit more after. Uh, listening to us today, they'll be able to find it. Again, Brandon is at Sports Blitz Pod. So now that I put that out there on you, <laughs> can we look for it in sometime in the next few days? Yeah, 
I'll put it up there as the show is up. That'll be up there on my Twitter as well. And feel free to give me a follow and you may feel free to shoot a comment, whether you like the show or you, you think I'm a bumbling idiot. Feel free. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Oh man. You got to do something about that self-esteem brother. <laughs> hey, if you have haters, that means you made it. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> That's that's a good way. Somebody's paying attention then. All right. Well, Brandon, I tell you, man, I, I can't thank you enough. This has been a, a great show. I mean, everything talking about the mud. I didn't get too deep into it, I hope. But um bum. Uh <laughs> the the what's happening with the hot stove. We we've had some good things going on here today. And uh, you know, I, I like it that people can find us, you know, whether they're they're seeing if they're looking rather on Apple or if they're looking on Spotify. I think most people I'm seeing up from our stats, it's coming from like iHeartRadio. That was a big one and Google.podcast. So, folks, uh, I'm glad you're listening to us today. Brandon and I here, uh, we're glad to be here. We we want to give a tip of the hat to uh, an icon of the game who just passed this last week, and that's uh, Tommy Lasorda, the man who made the Dodgers. Uh, he he was it. We've been play something of his, but <laughs> sometimes I had rather colorful language in trying to find the right piece. So anyway, tip of the hat to a great man in the game. Tommy Lasorda made a big difference for the Dodgers and their fans. Definitely want to say thank you, Mr. Lasorda. Yeah, and he's the only manager I've seen get a team's mascot thrown out of the stadium. <laughs> well... That kind of wraps it up for this week. Again, I'm Mark Carbett, your host, and with me is Brandon Noway, your co-host. You can find us again, both of us on Twitter, Brandon at SportsBlitzPod and me at TheBaseballBiz. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Baseball Biz and are getting a grip because that's what it's all about. Anyway, Brandon, you got any last words, man? Uh, thanks for listening, and feel free to you know like, comment, and leave a review. And we'll hopefully see you again next week. Okay, everybody. Thanks. And we hope to be talking with you again real soon. Also want to thank X-Take RUX for providing music rocking forward.